Welcome one, welcome all. It's a new edition of the Icy Takes podcast where myself, Big Dave, and Jeff on the other side of the web call take the hot topics in baseball and hockey and cool them down with our insight. Jeff, it's been another week of hockey, baseball, and everything else that can be included in the week of Wacky Sports. How was your week? Oh, not bad, Dave. You know, it's been it's been a week. You get through that first week of the uh, of the month, and you just keep on moseying along before you know it's the end of the month, and we go to a new month. So, um, I can't have too many complaints. Um, we did run into each other uh, outside the podcasting world for the first time in a long time, and we got to hang out a little bit on uh, on Friday evening with a with a crew of our friends. Yeah, it was it was great to to celebrate a birthday of one of our friends and then run into each other really uh, kind of unexpectedly, not even knowing that we were going to see each other. And so that was a, a nice surprise for us. Yeah, I, I found out actually because I was driving into into town because you come in from the uh, from the other side from the Fort Pitt side, I come in Square Hill side. And um, I get a text from one of our mutual friends saying that you're the one that takes the longest to get ready and that they're waiting for you. Well, I got there late to to the party. Shocker. Right whenever Shocker. I, right, yeah. So right whenever I got to the apartment, I, like, I was dressed and ready to go, but I wanted to charge my phone because it was dying and I didn't want to go in there with a dead phone and I just didn't have it for about half the night. <laughs> Yeah, I was shocked though because they're like, "Yeah, we're waiting for your uh, podcast partner to to get ready here," and I'm like, "Well, I'm sitting here waiting for you guys to get here, and I'm talking to no one, so hurry up." Well, I'm I'm sorry that you had to enjoy <laughs> your beer by yourself. Oh, I wasn't fully by myself, but you know, I could have used some buds. Yeah, so you no, know, yeah, I was gonna, I was about to say it was great to run into you this past weekend, and then I was also able to hit up our our food truck of Palooza we were talking about for the last two weeks, and really got to you know enjoy, enjoy some some grease food after a nice dine out from the night before. Yeah, how was how was the event? Were the food trucks good? What kind of food did you have? Uh, so I I got one of my favorites, uh, a lamb gyro, uh, because Ooh. it is pronounced gyro. I just wanted wanted to make that point. I had, a, I had a buddy of mine kept saying gyro, and I said, "Nope, nope." I, I've learned that it is a gyro. You call it that for now on. Um, and and that's English class with uh, Big Dave. Yes, and that that's it. Obviously, no tomato. Obviously, yes. Yeah, and so that that was pretty good. But I will say, what what was uh, even better was I forget I forget the name of the truck, and it and it hurts me, but um. I got a cheesesteak with fries for about ten fifty, and Ooh. yeah, and it, let me tell you, this was a this was a good cheesesteak, and I Pittsburghed it up by putting some of my fries on the cheesesteak. So there, there you go, take taking a classic Philly uh, Philly food and making it very much Pittsburgh. Yeah, so it makes it ten times better. Absolutely, I'm pretty. It's almost 10 times the championships that the city of Pittsburgh has over Philadelphia, but my math may be a little bit wrong. I I don't have that stat for you. If you're going to throw stats, man, you got to have something to back it up. Uh, no, let's just say Pittsburgh's better. Yeah, we'll just keep it simple. 
All right. So, like I said at the beginning, we are Icy Takes, and it's Jeff and myself, Big Dave, taking the hot topics of baseball and, and you know, I'm blanking here, hockey, and all those hot topics, we cool it down with our insight. Jeff, are you ready to get down and dirty with the business? Let's go. So, we're going to lead it off with a hockey talk, and we have a couple suspensions in the league. Jeff, can you tell us a little bit more about some of these suspensions? Yeah, so we're going to start off with a. Uh, the first one is one of the uh, bright young superstars in the NHL right now, Jack Eichel. Uh, he got a two-game suspension for a uh, hit to the head on Carl Soderberg. Um, we both looked at this before the uh, before the show, and we both were a little um, kind of scratching our heads. Kind of, you know, it could be called definitely a hit to the head. Um, but when we were talking, we both kind of agreed that, you know, Eichel was kind of getting a little roughed up a little bit earlier in the game, took a pretty tough hit where, uh, his helmet ended up coming off and, um, uh, it, it ended up being that player that put the hit on Eichel did not get a, even a hearing from the department of player safety at Jack Eichel gets a two game suspension. Um, Dave, what do you think with this, uh, with this suspension to a young superstar in Jack Eichel. So I think it's unfortunate the way Soderberg was hit because he puts his head out in the way as Eichel wants to make the move to hit him. And that was the the first point of contact. So obviously I do think there's, there is a penalty there just because you're, you are basically whacking somebody in the head, whether it was intentionally or unintentionally. I think no matter what, if there's any, hard hits to the to the noggin like that that should just be uh, a penalty right there whether it's interference or or something else but the suspension has me a little baffled because there's no intent to really you know rock his world out there with uh, a lack of saying right there and especially with a player like Jack Eichel who's supposed to be up there with Connor McDavid as one of the great superstars of the league to to move forward if another just Joe Schmo player makes that play. Does he get a five game suspension? Like I'll, I, I want to know what kind of punishments this NHL you know player of safety department is, is handing out for hits like this. Yeah. I think the frustrating part of this is um, like you said, the, the hit that Eichel took earlier, you know, it was, it was a stick that was near his head his helmet comes off because of um, the player's glove being near his head. So that that goes completely uncalled there. I don't believe there is a penalty on the play. And um, he doesn't get a hearing, yet Carl Soderberg puts himself in a tough spot um, by leaning forward, trying to get to a loose puck. Jack Eichel is just doing what he's supposed to, being hard on a puck and playing through the player. And unfortunately, like you said, he – he gets the head, which is the principal point of contact, and that's where the two-game suspension is. Uh, my, I agree with you. I just don't know what the standard is anymore because, um, you know, when when people talk about hits from behind, they, a, a lot is talked about that as the player that is, the, for lack of a better term, the victim of the hit, um, you're always taught not to put yourself in a bad spot. And I often wonder why are people not saying the same thing about these guys that are getting hit in the head? Because Carl Soderbergh puts himself in a bad spot there. That's not on Jack Eichel there. Jack Eichel's doing what he's supposed to do. 
supposed to do being hard on pucks and well oh well it's carl soderberg you can't really punish the person for putting himself in a bad position he's going to be the victim of just getting knocked out on the ice essentially not like he did get knocked out but he's just putting himself in a bad position just because you were in the the wrong place at the wrong time doesn't mean you should be punished for being punished on the ice it's kind of repetitive but i think i got my point across yeah, I, I'm not saying he should be punished by anything, but I think that's not being taken into consideration for the player that's making the hit, though. Right. That, no, no, I get you there. Is, is that, you know, Carl Soderberg put him in a bad spot. Jack Eichel was just making a play on the puck, and he happens to hit Carl Soderberg in the head. But, so, uh, and so, which leads us to the, the next hit before we get to the main crux of all this. Uh, Jake... Jacob Voracek for the Flyers. He got a suspension as well, right, Jeff? Yeah, so he was coming down the wall on a, uh, a breakout play for the Flyers. And um, and Puck's coming around. He, again, is in kind of a tough spot as a forward, uh, coming down the wall to catch a breakout pass. And Johnny Boychuk has him in his crosshairs, getting ready to put a hit on him. And instead of, instead of playing the Puck, Jake Voracek puts a um, – as what they call in, in in hockey a reverse hit, where he hits Johnny Boychuk before um, he makes a play on the puck to protect himself, and he ends up hitting Johnny Boychuk in the head. Uh, Boychuk goes off. Uh, Voracek gets called for a penalty, and um, I don't know if you saw the clip or not, but Johnny Boychuk was uh, kind of barking at Jake Voracek, saying that he was going to get him. And these two teams do play later in the year, and and. Um, that's going to be interesting. I I don't like this play at all. I thought it was a very, very good call by the officials to um, at least give him a penalty. I don't know necessarily if it warrants a uh, suspension. I don't know if the, the Eichel play factored into that because I believe they happened on the same night. Um, I, I just don't like this. I think you're right on the same night. Okay, yeah. I just don't like this play because – if the roles are reversed and Johnny Boychuk edges out Jake Voracek, that's called interference every time. And right. but for, but if it's a forward, well, he's just protecting the puck. That's a clean play. I just disagree with this play a lot. I don't like it. I don't. I didn't like it when TJ Oshie does it. I don't like it when even when a guy like Evgeny Malkin does it because he tends to do it. I believe he got suspended on the same play when he hit uh, TJ Oshie earlier in the year. Um, I'm just not a big fan of the play. Um, I don't know if necessarily it's a two-game suspension, um, but it definitely warranted a penalty. So I, I thought it was a, a good enough for that five-minute major for him to get thrown out just because of how he you saw the intent with the shoulder straight near the head and upper body from Voracek on that reverse hit, right? Right. And... I also thought it was a good idea for them to also put the two-minute on Johnny Boychuk because of him rushing towards Voracek to essentially not even play the puck but play the body, right? Right, but Johnny Boychuk's making a play on a player that's going to get the puck there. Yeah, so so, uh, uh, I thought it was just a a good way for the refs to maybe cool down the situation and give the five-minute major to the person who really laid it on Boychuk but also give it to to Boychuk for that. I, I believe they called him for interference, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I just thought it was good by the referees to essentially 
give punishment to each, but they knew where the bigger hit was with Voracek and just threw him out of the game. So I thought the calls were correct on the ice. But I also agree with you saying that the the suspension is not warranted. There's no reason for that kind of a hit to get somebody thrown out of a game, especially for someone like Boychuk pointing at him. Like I think Voracek said, almost like it's WrestleMania, him pointing me out and calling me out like that, which makes, you know, you know, you love WrestleMania, but if it's, if it's going on with, with hockey where you, they're going to put real, those real moves on players who aren't, you know, you know, acting it out per se, I say that with the finger quotes, um, it gets a little dangerous out there, right? Yeah, but I, I don't know. I think that's just, uh, what was the whole, I'm going to get you thing a little unnecessary. I, I would agree with that, but, um, I think too, that's just two players jawing at one another. And um, maybe I'm going to get you next time is going to be a little bit too much. But um, I think that's just – it's the the grassroots of a rivalry that we might be seeing in front of us between the, uh, between the Islanders and the Flyers and one that we haven't seen between those two teams in a long time. So um, I don't know. Like, I didn't hate it. I didn't really think much of it, to be honest with you, of Johnny Boychuk chirping it. Uh, Vorchek, but um, yeah, that's no different than when Scott Hartnell was, you know, waving his hand near his ear, uh, playing to the Pittsburgh crowd in 2012. Uh, it's, it's similar, but I mean, hey, where, I will where, say, where was Jake Vorchek when that was going on? Was that like WrestleMania too? Because he, he, if, as far as I remember, he was pretty quiet about that. I mean, you, you're going to be quiet if somebody on your own team's going to edge on the crowd, right? <laughs> Right, yeah, but that's my point, is that, you know, it's it's not cool for a guy to do that across the ice, but uh, it's cool for one of your line mates to be taught in the crowd like that. I mean, it's not a bad thing unless it's happening to you. Right. So, hey, before we get to the, the question, I will say, wasn't it the Islanders that dethroned the, the Flyers in the mid-70s for championships? I believe so. So maybe that's another reason why this rivalry should come up for everything. I, w- I want that yeah. to kind of surface out with these two teams. There you go. There you go. I like the hockey history by uh, new historian Dave Miller. I like that. Oh, yeah. I, I'm full. I'm chock full of them, but have no no use for them. But anyway, the, <laughs> the, here is the main question of these two stories. What in the hell is going on? With the player department or the player safety department, player safety department, I keep putting of in the middle. What is their reasoning for these suspensions and non suspensions throughout their not even this year, but years prior? It's just it's confusing from somebody that even casually follows the sport to see how these suspensions are being handed out. I think it's a massive guessing game for fans, for people in the media, and I think for the teams too. Um, I think their biggest issue is that they haven't set a precedent on um, just your the biggest thing that's happened, like the Tom Wilson thing that happened in the preseason earlier this year. Um, that was that was their chance to uh, really set a precedent that hey, we're not going to let this continue to go on in our league. They they went to do it. The Players Association ended up pulling it back, and I think he only got what thirteen games or something like that. Essentially, earlier in the year. but it was it, it wasn't but even it, the it, full suspension. Yeah, so I mean, it gets cut almost beyond half of what 
teams are, are what the original suspension was. And now, you know, guys are just being, it's just a slap on the wrist anymore. And at this point, if it's going to be a hit to the head, I mean, you got to, you got to start hitting guys a little bit harder because it's becoming all too often. It seems like every week somebody's getting suspended for something that uh, involves a hit to the head. And, you know, some some of these hits to the head are unavoidable. And you can essentially punish somebody on the ice, but then after that, they're, if they're unavoidable, I don't see any reason for suspension unless it's, you know, blatant that even in an unavoidable situation, they still went after the upper body and the head, right? But that's a little bit of the thing is, like, what not that like when people complain that... um well, they don't call anything in the playoffs unless it's blatant, and then, you know, you're taken away from the skill of the game. If you just nip it in the butt with every little thing um, and set a precedent for it, then I think you see a lot less of that stuff because guys are afraid of getting that suspension. So do you think, do you think it's more or less just they're handing out suspensions on hits like this to maybe try to cool down everything, but it's also backlashing in their face? I think so. Yeah, I think they're they they're caught in the middle of they want the players to still police the league, but fighting is decreasing in the NHL too. So I think that's like our that's kind of like the battle that they're kind of fighting right now. So in, in the end, I think the player safety department and the NHL front office as a whole is just baffling to watch. Um, they they have the great product out there, but they don't know how to monitor it or police it and. That's what's frustrating about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, more hockey talk. We got, we have the the Tampa Bay Lightning. I believe they were the first team to clinch the playoff berth, and you know they're they're flirting with some history, Jeff. Yeah. So, um, Tampa Bay obviously uh, clinched. I believe on Saturday. Was that correct? That sounds right. So they uh, clinched their record currently now, 52-13-4, and four, 108 points. Um, close to tying a record with uh, the Detroit Red, w- Red Wings. Uh, Dave, what was that record that, the, uh, that they're trying to go after? 62-13-7. and seven. Okay, so they, they can – was that before ties or was that – That was with, in the 95 uh, season, house. and I think they're – were ties. I'll, yeah, I'll there, were. Check. there were ties in. Yeah, so that was back. So I think the, the Red Wings had, if my math is correct, 100 and, um, 124 points. That sounds right. I think 62 times 2 is 124. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're obviously flirting with a little bit of history here. They have to go on a little bit of a run to go, but, um, Tampa Bay, man, they uh, they continue to keep playing uh, tremendous hockey. I believe they're beating the Leafs 6-1 as we're uh, recording this podcast right now. And um, they just keep going. I don't know if they're going to be stopped. Uh, I think if they would run into right now, I guess Boston would be the closest team right now that would give them a run for their money right now. Or if they would run into Pittsburgh in the in the uh, first round as a wild card seed, um, this team's just up and down. They're just so skilled. Stamkos, Kucherov, um, 
uh, Vasilevsky and net Victor Hedman on the back end, Ryan McDonough on the back end, uh, top to bottom. They're just a great hockey team. So I, I want to say, if you want to even date it back to the 2016 conference finals, the, the coming out party for Vasilevsky has basically been, I think the main recipe for their success, not only with, you know, the rise of Nikita Kucherov this year, just dominating, uh, everything in front of him setting the points record already in a season by a lightning player in the regular season season beating out Le Cavalier. Um, he has a 109 points and counting now. Um, I, I, but I think the way Vasilevsky came out of that series outplaying Murray essentially, but still losing the series has been their, their success to, or has been their recipe for sustained success. Yeah, it's great. It's crazy to see that too, because uh, if you remember in that series, you know Ben Bishop was a starting goaltender, and he goes down with a uh, with a knee injury in the middle of game one. And at that moment, you could kind of feel um, Consol Energy Center, what is now PPG Paints Arena, um, kind of every Penguin fan kind of licking their chops, like, okay, team's on the run now. Their starting goaltender just got hurt cold backup goaltender coming in here we go and he steals game one and he kind of he's been on a run ever since that he's been fantastic in net um they just can't seem to get over the hump and maybe this is the year for tampa bay um if i mean they've definitely built a legitimate team up and down um from their number one center down all the way down to their to their sixth defenseman and both their goaltenders seem to uh Seem to be playing well, so um, yeah, maybe this is the year that they get over the hump. Look, looking at his numbers right now, average giving up two point two four goals against on average, and the save percentage of nine three one is ridiculous. But let's just take the let's take the guess right now, Jeff. Do you think they tie or eclipse the record? I don't think they they eclipse the record this year. Um, they're, they essentially would have to, when uh, they got, what, 13 games left at 69 games played to, uh, going into tonight, um, they would have to win at least 10 games and then three three go into overtime in which they would get a point. So um, I'm going to say no, they're not going to eclipse it. Well, if you want to look at some of their schedule, they have three more games against the Capitals, which could go either way, two, two of them being at home. You have a game against Boston, and I think the rest you could say should be wins. You have Detroit, you have the, the Coyotes, you have the Hurricanes, you have the Blues, and that's how you end March. And then I'd be point- careful down that stretch, though, because Coyotes got something to play for there. The uh, the Blues have something to play for. Um, obviously, the three games with the Capitals for how tight the Metropolitan Division is. Um, you got some teams that got something to play for in there, and those can be pretty dangerous games, especially when you've clinched this early in the season, too. And then once you get into April, you end the season on a four-game road trip at Ottawa, at Montreal, at Toronto, and then go into Boston. I think that they, I want to make sure how many points they have right now. So they have 52, 104. They're at 108 points right now. So they need 16 more points 
to tie it. I think they just come up short at 120. 120 points is my guess, Jeff. Oh, jeez. So they so we're both saying no. They're they're not going to uh, surpass the 95 wings. As much as I want to say it, I I don't think it will happen. I think the the two games against Boston and three against the Capitals are a killer. Yeah, I mean, like I said too, you you have those teams that are kind of fighting for playoff positioning there down the stretch of in uh, late March. Um, you know, it's very easy for for a team like Tampa Bay who's clinched their spot is ready to go in the playoffs. And um, it's very easy for those teams to get caught sleeping. And, um, you know, you're, a lot of teams are trying to prove themselves going into the playoffs too. So they're looking at Tampa Bay as definitely a benchmark game to get themselves ready for a playoff run. All right, Jeff, we got, uh, we got any more hockey talk? Uh, just a couple quick notes, uh, a couple hot teams. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the local hockey team, kind of going on a run here a little bit. They've won five out of their last seven. Uh, we talked about them last week. Um, close to getting healthy, Chris Letang just needs to come back. Ole Mata has started skating with Chris Letang as well. Um, hopefully to get those two guys back. And Matt Murray has been fantastic for the Penguins, um, picking up a, uh, a couple wins in the last week. And um, I think he started like nine straight. I think he's he started. So uh, Mike Sullivan has definitely uh, put his confidence with uh, Matt Murray, putting him in net on a regular basis. And um, the other hot team, if if we're going to do an Eastern team, we got to do a Western team. The Vegas Golden Knights winning nine out of their last ten. Um, they're pretty much cemented in the uh, third spot in the uh, Pacific Division. That could be your real threat in the West, the way that they're playing since they acquired Mark Stone at the uh, the trade deadline and just uh, extending his contract um, to an eight-year deal. Um, Vegas could be making another run again. I hate to say it because um, I'm not Vegas' biggest fan, but they look like that they could uh, they could turn some teams around, and they're playing hockey like they were last year again. And uh, It could be Party City in Vegas all over again. They're my number two favorite team. I, I will say that. I, I love I love the Golden Knights just because it's a new team, so it's a, it's a nice way to like them. And, of course, the Flowers out there, and that's another reason to love them. So I, I like what, what the Golden Knights did at the trade deadline. I thought it was a little odd at first to sign Mark Stone immediately to a contract like that, but it, it's paying off for them so far. And if they can get a title out of it in their second year, then you got seven more years to enjoy Mark Stone, right? Yeah, and then turn. Yeah, he has a full no trade on that too. I mean, Mark Stone's going to be making a a nice uh, chunk of change out in Vegas, and you know he's pretty much going to be living the next eight years in Vegas unless he decides he wants to leave. No state income taxes in Nevada. If you didn't know that. Oh yeah, that's that's a whole nother thing. Uh, also, too, not to go off on off the rails here, but uh, Seattle is going to be another team that has a, uh, a no state tax. So that's going to be interesting how that goes with the expansion team out there as well when they become in the league in the next couple years. And you brought up Matt Murray saying how Mike Sullivan has all the confidence in him. And I just laugh at how November went down and the the talking heads, whether it's us or fans or anybody else in the media, basically exclaiming how the Penguins should go after a trade for Matt Murray. And I remember one of the names being linked to come into Pittsburgh 
was Jimmy Howard and how dark November was for the entire Penguins organization. And you look back and you think, why the hell was that even brought up? Yeah, I, th- I think I saw, so- I remember seeing something on Twitter. Um, I think it may have been during the Penguin game last night. So- and somebody tweeted, like, thank God that uh, Jim Rutherford didn't trade for Jimmy Howard. I mean, if that, could you just imagine Jimmy Howard playing in front of this team? I mean, Matt Murray like has a food tough- every single night. Right. I mean, they, they, Matt Murray has a tough time as it is with all the shorthanded chances this team gives up. That number's probably doubled on the shorthanded goals. If Jimmy Howard's in that for this team and that and Jim Rutherford pulls that trigger and makes that trade. You could even say tripled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. So, but it, it was cool to see Penguins fans chanting Murray's name at the, during the third period of that Bruins game against the Penguins and see the Penguins come out on top and end that 19, uh, was it 19 games in a row the Boston Bruins had a point? Yeah, 19 straight regular season games, I think it was. And they hadn't they had lost since, like, January, was it January 16th, I think? I, I think I they've lost in overtime, if, but they didn't lose in regulation since if around I'm, January. If I'm wrong on that, tweet at me, uh, at jchris51, and tell me I'm an idiot and I don't know my stats. But I, I'm pretty sure it went back to, like, mid-January, and they lost to the Rangers in regulation. Of all teams, the Rangers. Oh, boy. All right, so that was our hockey talk. So let's switch it over to the baseball talk. We we got some interesting points in here. And then, Jeff, uh, something we didn't go over before the show, but I can softball it to you and just get an opinion from you later on in the show. Um, but let's start off with the, with the lack of maybe raised compensation that these two players got in the in the major league baseball association, Blake Snell and Alex Bregman. Um, so for Blake Snell, he was last year's Cy Young winner and still being on, under that rookie contract. They, the Tampa Bay Rays worked, worked out his contract a little bit to try to get something new going for him. So with the league minimum rising from 545,000 to 555,000 a year per player, uh, Blake Snell was at $558,200. So he was around $13,200 above league minimum. The Rays have been so generous enough to give him a $15,500 raise at $573,700. And with the league minimum going up 10000 he essentially got a $5,500 raise. Jeff, do you think a player who just won the Cy Young even though he's on a rookie contract, deserves more compensation right now because of, of what he was able to achieve for this team? I mean, I, I get this, but didn't we go through this with Garrett Cole in Pittsburgh about the whole, you know, I deserve more of a raise after the year I had, but you're right, still on your right. rookie no, deal. We, we did go through that. I mean, not us, you know, over the airways, or maybe we were still in school, but, you know, these players do deserve money based off their performance, but this is a Cy Young award. You were the best pitcher in your league, and you're still getting paid damn near league minimum. But it, the the one thing I'll say, though, isn't that on the player and his agent to negotiate that? Like, if you're that confident in your skills and where you're at early in your career, to not get that negotiated in your contract is some kind of a bonus? Like, isn't there a I'm not sure what the negotiations are as far as rookie deals and in in Major League Baseball, but I I couldn't imagine that 
you know, if, if this kid's this good coming out of college or, or w- coming through the, the minor league system, how this wasn't negotiated in his contract when he signed, um, I think I look at this more of a shame on you if you're the agent or if you're the player and, um, Maybe he needs to get a new agent and negotiate a better better deal because, um, you know, if if the deal's what the deal is, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. He Blake Snell can enter arbitration. He has his first of three years starting next year after this upcoming season, so going into 2020. And you know, we've seen this with such a tumultuous off season for the last two years for players who are basically trying to get their dollar and have to wait until mid-February, and then you have Bryce Harper at the beginning of March to get their deals done just because they want to be adequately paid for essentially the rest of their life. They want to you know, lay down their roots, as Harper said, into this one area where this team believes in him and also compensates him for the work he's done before and the work that he believes he'll do in the future. I know this is setting up Blake Snell to get that huge contract right now, but it's still a shame on both ends. I think you mentioned it with the agents uh, with the lack of maybe phrasing in the contract, but I think it's also a lack on the, on the race side because, you know, we make fun of the pirates for being such a low spender. This is the lowest uh, payroll team. They spend around 51 million and it's because of rookie deals like this and not, you know, not adequately compensating them after doing, you know, being the best at his position in the past year. And that's why I think, you know, not to go on a tangent real quick, but why the Rays will always be in the bottom of the barrel, even though they had 90 wins last year. I don't see them improving on that because of moves like this. So I think it's just a shame to see when players who are being robbed at the minimum, can't get their money's worth before their arbitration years. And this has kind of been a common theme for us since we started the show and once we start talking about real baseball games that matter. Um, I think this is just leading up to uh, another CBA issue that that I hope the players bring up because it's been last, it's This is how it's been for so many years. Um, but again, I think the... The big thing, though, for Blake Snell is, um, you know, is he going to be disciplined enough to take this to arbitration and and take it to a third-party arbitrator who will say, you know what, yeah, you're right, you do deserve a much higher raise. You know, here's $20 million off on a one-year deal based off arbitration. Or if the race come to him and say, hey, we're going to buy out your arbitration, is he going to take that big money? I think that's going to be the big test for um, for Blake Snell. Uh, I think that definitely he'll be smart enough and anybody else who's ever been in that position will be smart enough to go to that third party because especially with what Blake Snell has done for that organization, especially this past year, he's setting himself up to to get paid is, is what the kids say. Right, right. I mean, he's going to get paid either way, whether he, he goes to arbitration or if he gets bought out. But... Um... I just think that if he really wants to prove a point that any offer that the Rays send his way, he, there's no way he can accept it, right? I mean, we'll we'll see what the numbers are because I know I don't know what his signing bonus is offhand uh, whenever he joined the organization, 
but you know that could also that's, play. That's that's also another thing too is that like these kids are getting like a significant signing bonus just for signing their name on a contract. So I mean, it's not like they're getting shafted fully off off great performances or anything. I mean, they're getting they're getting millions of dollars for just signing their name before they throw a pitch in on a uh, professional mound. And then, so let's move it over to another position, Astros' Alex Bregman, the the third baseman that's been on the rise ever since the, the year that they won the World Series. His, I have his signing bonus here. It was $5.9 million in 2015. And since then, he's made, uh, on base salary in the major leagues, 507500 539,400 and 599,000. And now, based off that 599, he's got an increase of 41,000 to his name. So now he's up to 640, 600 and, well, I can't do math right now, 41,000 or 640,000, excuse me. So another player who finished fifth in MVP voting was the first Astros player to be named All Star MVP and was the only player ever to produce 50 doubles plus and 30 homers plus in a regular season in major league history. So which, which begs, which brings us to the question, even though with the big signing bonus like that, do you still think on these base salaries that the players are getting robbed? Or do you think that the teams are essentially getting their money's worth on that signing bonus and then lay it out with that base salary? I think teams are just are winning on the signing bonuses. I mean, he got a five point nine million dollar signing bonus, and then you know, d- does he overachieve on that bonus a little bit? Yeah, probably. But again, he's he's signing a piece of paper, and he's getting a fifth starter salary just for signing his name before he's even stepped into a batter's box, and even single A or double A. So I, I, again, it's hard for me to feel bad for these guys. When yeah, have you ever achieved a little bit? Probably yes, but you're still trying to prove yourself as a name in uh, in baseball. And if you've gone above and beyond, good for you. And if if it matters how much to you to get paid, take it to arbitration because you have that for for a couple years before you hit free agency. I will say that when these players who do so well on these rookie contracts go into the free agency, they're based off what the teams are doing with them with the signing bonus and the base salaries that the players are setting themselves up for disaster when trying to get these big mega deals based off what they've done before because teams look at that and think, are they going to maintain that success over this period of time? Why should we be paying them this many millions of dollars on a base salary when this team already had them at this at this sort of a deal? Yeah, I, again, I just... I, I, I don't think you or me are going to change our outlook on this i just think that it, it, it these players aren't completely helpless like it it's tough for me to feel bad for a guy when if a team comes to him and says hey we'll pay you this amount of money so you don't go to arbitration and that guy signs it's really hard for me to feel bad for a guy like that because he's still getting paid i mean they're all going to be getting paid in the future it's just being under these these rookie deals and exceeding the expectations to the fullest, I understand why these players are are miffed essentially when trying to get their pay dirt on a base salary. Because even though they got, had the signing bonus and 
they do whatever they want with that signing bonus. They still had to grind their way to become one of the best in the league. And now that they've eclipsed everything that the organization has already paid them, they're still, you know, you could even say, you know, getting getting the raw end of the stick here by, by being one of the best, if not the best, at their position. The best question to ask these guys, and I don't know if anybody in the media would, would even think to ask this question, and I can't even say that I would ask this question. Do Would these guys be willing to miss a paycheck to get this system changed? Yeah, and the, with the CBA, I think at the end of the 2020 season or 2021, around around the time where most of the CBAs are going to be under uh, under scrutiny, with all the teams CBS expiring, baseball was the only team in the mid two thousands and early two thousand tens to not have a strike in their sport at any point. They were able to renew the CBA almost immediately. So we might be seeing another strike here in the future, right, Jeff? It could be. It could be a strike. Could be a lockout. I I, I just think the way the free agency has gone right now, I think baseball needs it more than anything. I need. I think they need to restructure and they don't you're just going to have more and more people in the players association that are still going to be upset with the way they're paid the way um that it it takes so long to reach free agency i mean i think they're the long are they not the longest league for you to reach free agency i believe so i mean because i think i think hockey you can at least become a, a restricted free agent after three years in the league so that might be the shortest. I'm not sure on the NFL, though. Yeah, I know with baseball, it's usually around five years. Yeah, you have to have like six years of service. Um, I think three and a half is when you hit arbitration, right? Somewhere somewhere around there. Because I think Alex Bregman, according to uh, SpotRack, uh, this might even be the the end of the deal. I don't even know if he has any arbitration years based off the the contract that he signed. Um, it's saying at the end of 2018, his 599,000 was his last deal. Um, I don't think spot rack is giving me, uh, the right numbers here or not the right numbers, but, uh, oh yeah. So yeah, no, he has arbitration years coming up and same as Blake's now 20, 2020, 2021 and 2022 will be his arbitration years. So we should be seeing some pay dirt from those players, um, in the future. So, yeah, I, my challenge to those guys is is if they try and buy out your arbitration, there's no way you can sign that deal. Simple as that. So let's move on to something that was a little more eye-opening than usual. We had some former MLB players you know, that have been linked to that Mitchell report, whether they are true or not. Um, Jose Canseco calling out Alex Rodriguez on Twitter. And the one tweet that we want to focus on is the the tweet from Jose Canseco saying that, Alex Rodriguez, I challenge you to a boxing match or an MMA match anytime you want. And uh, basically the reasoning of these tweets was, I guess, Jose Canseco, you know, after Alex Rodriguez proposed to his girlfriend, Jennifer Lopez, Jose Canseco's throwing tweets out there that A-Rod uh, cheated on her, but that's not what we want to focus on, even though that would be a serious issue. We want to focus on this potential boxing or MMA match between these two 
between these two players. And Jeff, uh, you know, I think this would be more entertaining than uh, Mayweather and um, uh, McGregor if they were in a boxing match. Yeah, first of all, congratulations, Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez. Uh, big fan of A-Rod. Um, I just don't know. Like, Before we get to the match part of it, like, where the hell is this coming from? Like, like, Jose Canseco, I just feel like at this point, like, is he trying to make himself relevant again? Because I didn't even know he was on Twitter until I saw this tweet and I, I tweeted it at Icy Takes. Um, I, I it just does it it just came out of nowhere and then like what what are you ten years old challenging him to a fight at the at the playground by the jungle gym like uh, it just it just blew me away and um as as far as who would win the fight I would probably say I'm gonna say A Rod wins this fight because the way I'm picturing this in my mind is A Rod is a very he'd be a very finesse kind of fighter. And he would kind of let Jose Canseco throw that first punch, miss, and then A-Rod comes right back and just knocks him out in one punch. Because, just because Jose Canseco would, would try and put everything he had in that first punch, and he's going to miss, and he's going to leave himself wide open, and, um, and A-Rod would nail that punch. You got A-Rod standing at 6-3 in that one corner, you know, uh, I, I don't have weight on me right now, but, you know, weighing in at 225 pounds and that's lean muscle. That's basically what he's been like his entire career. And in the other corner, you got the six, four, you know, Cuban weighing in at 250 because he's always been the bulkier kind. And, you know, the big head for maybe, you know, one reason for a little juice. But I, I think you're right on a rod being able to finesse Jose Canseco. I think it's more of a a blind rage of Canseco in the ring and trying to exert every punch right away as A Rod just dodges all of them and just, you know, finesses him. Yeah, maybe A Rod just bops him on the top of the head like that ball that that went over that went over the fence when he was playing the outfield. Oh, and then and that would be the icing on the cake, right? As Canseco's about to go down. A Rod just goes on top of the head and just bops it. Oh yeah, just I, I mean, just straight whack a mole right on top of him, put him out of his misery. And it, 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 it again, like who, who the hell is Jose Canseco to call him out on that? On what is probably the happiest day of A Rod's life, he's he's marrying a woman he loves, and um, and then he's going off saying that like he'll take a polygraph to prove all this stuff is correct and and accurate and everything, um. Just a really scumbag move on on Jose Canseco's part. Yeah, I, like you said, it, it came out of right field where Jose Canseco played, and now it's going to bop him on the head like it did that home run. Like I, I, I was watching the hockey game with my uh, with my parents last night, and I I was kind of reading off these tweets, and my dad just goes, "Who's Jose Canseco?" And I, the first thing that came to mind, it wasn't that he played outfield for the A's or he. He had any significant playing career. It was that he he wrote the book Juiced that like ratted out all these players of doing steroids and everything like that and how rampant it was in baseball. So I just think this is a guy that just doesn't have any friends in baseball. He's just trying to take shots at people. Do you think he's he's one of the biggest snitches out there in the in any sport? Yeah, I think I would say that. Yeah, I, I'm sure if you would, 
if you would pull baseball players, I'm sure his name would pop up as one of the top uh, top rats in the in the uh, baseball world. You know, I mean, whether whether the accusations are are true or not true, I mean, you you just don't go out of there from from left field, from right field, from center field, making calls out like that for the book or the call outs on Twitter to A Rod or any of that. It's just it's bush league, right? Yeah, hundred percent bush league, and. I think the timing of it's what ticks me off more than anything. Like, if he's doing this while they're, like, dating, and, like, it, I, I think it's not that big of a deal. But the fact it was the day after they got engaged, and you're going to you're gonna bury him for something that you – he says it's true. Nobody has really came out after. Like, it wasn't like it was headline news the next day or anything. So, again, Jose Canseco, who the hell are you? You see the size of that ring in that photo? Oh my god, yeah. That that just blows everyone out of the water when it comes to just trying to impress your girlfriend to be make that make that woman your wife is uh, is a yeah. ring like that. You can't a- compete A-Rod, with it. A-Rod definitely just showed up like every man in the world with <laughs> with that ring. So, uh that was our baseball talk for everyone. I think that was it, right, Jeff? I think so. I don't think I had anything else. Uh, just that we're deep in the heart of spring training, and we're we're just counting down the days till we play uh, some real baseball that matters. Well, I did remember the one thing I wanted to bring up in our baseball talk before we uh, toss it over to bracketeering is that King Felix will not be making the opening day start for the Mariners. So, do you think this is the the beginning of the end for uh, a player that basically what I thought was on pace for four thousand strikeouts? to either find a new team or is this just, you know, slowly becoming the end of his career? I think it's just slowly to the end of his career. I mean, he was a horse out there for Seattle. It's not like um, this is like too early for him or anything. I mean, he was, he was putting up numbers that were crazy out there. Just never really had a team around him. So um, I don't, I don't want to say that he's fallen off or his career is completely over. I just think that, He's finally slowed down, and Seattle's in a rebuild too, so um, I think he'll be taking on more of a mentor role in that rotation than um, than being the guy there. And I, I don't think that, um, that it's going to hurt Seattle. I think that it, it's going to help them more than anything that he'll be able to mentor um, the young kids that will be coming up and pitching in that rotation. So I really hope that – King Felix can turn this around. He's been one of my favorite pitchers since he's come into the league, and I want him to get to that 4,000 strikeout uh, achievement. First, he's got even got to get to 3,000, so it's going to be a, a grind for him to even get to that far. So hopefully he finds something to turn, turn it around, whether he gets a, a change of scenery after this season or becomes the mentor and maybe comes within more of a reliever role or becomes a, a three through five starter for the Mariners. I want King Felix to continue this career and make the best of it. So let's take it on to our final for, to our final subject before we give out our MVP of the week honors. The bracketeering, Jeff, you know, last week we had the you know possible controversial M M&M topic, but the fans agreed with us. And I love it because, you know, it, it shows that we we share the same the same, you know, sweetness of M&Ms with them. 
Yeah, we talked about this before the show. Um, I like more of a debate about it. I like hearing from our some of our listeners that we do get to talk to. And uh, I like hearing, you know, what they do, do not like. You said before the show that you had a listener tell you that they couldn't believe Carmel was out in the first round. And, um, Same. And, and, I mean, I I like disagreeing with them because I think they're trash. I don't think they're good at all. I thought the, the texture of the Carmel just stuck to my teeth and just gave me a cavity every time I ate them. So, um yeah, that's just the that I think that's the whole point of this is to just have a debate. It's a little bit of fun, and everybody has an opinion on something as small as candy or you know wherever this uh, segment may take us. So this week we decided to stay basically stay on the same track and go to the candy bars. And what we are going to do here is actually needs to be in a bar size. So we do not have Reese's cups in here because those are cups and not bars. That also hurts me on the inside as well, Jeff, that we couldn't include them on this. Well, we had a long debate when we were out Friday Friday night with the uh, with the crew. We had like a, a bracketeering within a bracketeering to see if, <laughs> if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. This was going on at like 1.30 in the morning, too. So it was even better that we might have been a little uh, having a little bit more fun than what we would normally be doing. So um, I stood by it. Uh, it's not it's not in a bar form. And the other the other uh, argument to it would be that Reese's does have a candy bar out. It's called the fast break. It's it's pretty much a a chocolate bar with peanut butter in the middle. And that's it. That's the that's the Reese's uh, peanut butter candy bar. It's not Reese's cups. It's the Reese's fast break. So there you go. All right, so then, and then Reese's Fast Break will not be in bracketeering as well. I guess you could almost say these are honorable mentions. Yeah, well, there was the, this this one we did say before uh, before the show when we were putting it together that this was a tough one just because there's so many popular ones that it's it's hard to keep it um, within rain, and we only kept it to eight. And you're also trying to see these properly, um, so these were probably the top eight that we could seed in a pro- in a proper way so uh uh let's let's get at this i i think this one's gonna be a good one this week so we got candy bars the number one seed is hershey's the hershey's breakable bar against number eight almond joy we got number two twix versus number seven three musketeers we have number three milky way taking on number six payday and we got number four, take five versus number five, Snickers. Jeff, this this might be this might have some controversy with it. This might have some heat. We got to cool it down. Yeah, uh, yeah, this does have a lot of heat, and there might be shots thrown between you and me on this because we were already arguing about it when we were putting it together. Uh, I'll, I'll lead it off here with Hershey's and Almond Joy, and I definitely got to give it to Hershey's. Well, which I, I also have to make an omission. I thought there were no number eight seeds in the three weeks that we've done this with our fan choice. We actually did have it our first week with Dunkin' Donuts taking down McDonald's in the first in the first round of our very oh, first. Oh wow! Okay, so, so maybe 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 we've never picked a number eight then. Uh, I think so. I think you are correct on that. So. Uh, we have, I, I got to take Hershey's on this one, though. Uh, Almond Joy, you had a nice ride here, but, you know, see you later. Hershey's just dominates you because they're one of the best chocolates in the world. 
Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. This is not even close. Her, Hershey's takes this hands down. Almond Joys are the most trash candy bar in the world. Um, if you look at when you're handing out candy and you, you get like the, the 550 pieces of candy or whatever in the bag for Halloween and you hand it out, no kid takes an Almond Joy. Like no kid, there's literally no person going trick-or-treating is going, oh, I want, I want chocolate, coconut, and an almond. Like that, whoever came up with that is the stupidest candy bar I've ever heard of. Hershey's, you, you're moving on. Almond Joy, you got blown out of the water by 40 points. So do you think it was more or less with Almond Joy coming out, more a, a candy bar built for the, the older person that loves the mixture of almonds and chocolate? I I just think that that I don't know what demographic they're going after. It, it it I think the rule is you eat almond joys when you're like forty five years old. That has to be like the age requirement for that. Because <laughs> like, have you ever seen one of like anybody our age eat those? And I mean, uh, no. we're we're crawling up the ladder there. We're almost reaching that uh, that that age requirement to start eating these things. But I mean, we still have fifteen years to get there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know of any friends that think, "Oh man, I see an almond joy there. I want to take it." So I don't I, even I think agree with I don't you even there. I don't even think Sheets sells those. I'd have to double check. I don't really check out the candy I'm, bars I'll too pro- much there. I'll, pro- I'll I'll check tomorrow, and I'll I'll probably put a tweet out on uh, at icy takes follows um, and and see if they even sell almond joys at Sheets. But I would almost put money on it that they don't. Moving on, we got number two, Twix, taking on number seven, Three Musketeers. Jeff, who you got? I got Twix. This is America's candy bar. This is everything you could want. Chocolate, a cookie, and caramel. Everybody loves those three, especially in a combination of one bar. And you get two of them. You double up on it. I'm going I'm going Twix hands down. I just think it's it's funny how Twix has taken the, the approach of, you know, the – left Twix and right Twix are completely different from one another and that marketing has just been so out of touch with me that I I'm almost you know just taken aback with how not why people love it but it's just it's so mind-numbing that the company uses that that tactic to get people on board with you know you get two different bars but they're not the same from one another because they're in the same damn packaging (laughs) Is that not a shot at like American politics? The left side bit. and the right side. Like I that's what I kinda like about it is that like you guys are going for the same like end goal here, but there it's clearly split down the middle a left and a right. So I, I kinda take it as a shot at American politics, which makes me laugh. And that and that makes me laugh that you pointed that out because I wasn't able to see it, but I I still stand by what I said. And yeah, well as close as it really is, I will have to agree that Twix is better. I think it's a close one though. I, I, I think Three Musketeers is really underrated. I don't. Th- I don't think you're. I don't think it's as close as what you think because I. I feel like Three Musketeers is too bland. Like I, I don't know. I, I, I like the the. It's essentially like a, a fluffy candy that it's not that. Um, it's not the BS peeps that you're gonna get there where that's just fluff and that's it. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, you get more more chocolate with the fluff at the same time. So. It was a close one, but you know, you 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 had to foul at the end, down seven with thirty <laughs> seconds left, and it, it you just couldn't turn it around. 
I will say I like the chocolate that comes with the Three Musketeers just because it's like it's like that between of like milk chocolate and you kind of get like a hint of like a dark chocolate finish on it, like a little bit of a bitter dark chocolate with it too. So um, I still go Twix, but that's the one thing I'll give the uh, the Three Musketeers. On the way to number three, Milky Way, and number six, Payday. And I think this is going to have to be my first upset. I got Payday coming away with this one over top of Milky Way. I love the combination of the nuts that they used in Payday along um, and, and the saltiness that comes with it on top of every everything else. What, what is it? It's mainly just uh, like almost like a nougat or a caramel, essentially, like the entire candy bar. Yeah, so this is like the first candy bar to like not use chocolate, right? So I think that's what makes it unique. You get peanut, peanuts, caramel, and like you said, like that caramel has there's something in that caramel that makes it like it's it's hard to explain. Um, this was one of my favorite candy bars as a kid, so I'm gonna go payday. Um, Milky Way just doesn't have enough. I I, I th- they kind of combine like the caramel and like that nougat with the the um. Like with the Three Musketeers, I just I just don't enjoy like that nougat that much, especially when it's kind of by itself. So I'm gonna go payday. Look at us agreeing on that upset too. That's that that kind of disappoints me because I want to argue with you because we're agreeing yeah. on everything. Yeah, so far, so far. And I think we're gonna agree on this next round. Number four, take five against number five, Snickers. Jeff, who you got? I got Snickers. Take five's got a little bit too much going on in there. What, what's all in this thing? There's what? Chocolate, pretzels, caramel, nougat, peanuts, or is it crunch? Uh, I want to say peanuts. So, yeah. So, like, you like you have, like, those five things in there. There's just way too much going on in there for uh, for my liking. That's why, I li- that's why, like... Twix is America's candy bar. There's three things in there. You keep it simple. You know what you're getting. I I like Snickers. They fall kind of like the same thing. It's peanuts, caramel, and chocolate, and that's it. So uh, I'm going to get Snickers here. Um, they keep it simple, but they still add more to what everything else does. They put their own spin on it. So I'm going to get Snickers. And I am also going to do the same. And because of the same reason... I think the, the the more or less is better in this variety when you're comparing the two with Snickers and Take 5. There might be too much going on with Take 5. And with Snickers, they kind of match that combination of what you need in a candy bar and stuff it into to one satisfying, tasty candy bar. So we have, we have agreed in all four rounds. So let's move on to the, the semifinals. We got number one Hershey's and number five Snickers. And Jeff, I'm going to go with the Snickers on this one. I think that they do an excellent job of combining everything that you said in the, into that candy bar and take out what is probably some of the most purest chocolate out there. But that's all you're getting. And the Hershey candy bars are too thin, in my opinion. Okay, all right, I see, I see you, Dave. Um, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to disagree. The number one seed, Hershey's, is going to move on for me. Um, it's just a classic, right? It's it's the staple. It's the pretty much the original candy bar, right? And the versatility of this thing, you can put it with a lot of other things. Um, 
it's one of the focal points of s'mores in the summer with the marshmallow, the graham cracker, and the fact that they, they have it pretty much branded now that you have to get the Hershey's milk chocolate bar. It's not just a chocolate bar. It's a Hershey's milk chocolate bar you have to have with this thing. Um, so I'm going to go with Hershey's uh, milk chocolate to beat, beat out Snickers. Um, pretty much like the equivalent of like the New York Yankees beating the, oh boy, uh, the Washington Nationals, per se. Okay. All right. Well, you're saying the you're saying the Nationals made a World Series. Is that where you're Is that what you're trying to tell me? It'd be the equivalent, like I said, fairy tale world didn't really happen. So let's keep it moving. All right. Well, uh, as I as I type this into the computer for for record, uh, let's move on to the next round where we have number six payday against number two Twix. Jeff, who <sighs> you got? Boy, this is a tough one because I I love both these candy bars. Um, I'm going to go Twix just because, like I said, it's America's candy bar. It's everything everybody could want. Um, I think, oh man. Um, I, I just find myself every time if I have, have the choice of any candy bar, Twix is the one that I'm going to pick and it's close. Like I said, I like paydays when I was little, my grandparents used to buy me like bags of these things. And, like, eventually you just get tired of something. So, unfortunately, Payday is going to uh, lose in this one, and Twix is going to be the uh, the one to move on to the final. And I, I can't find a reason to disagree with you there for Twix to advance. Um, I was looking for a way to t- for Twix to fall over, but I think their bracket was set up for them to win, and there had to be a huge upset for them to lose. And that's why I think Twix ultimately beats out Payday in this battle because, like you said, it's, it's such a great combination of what they have in that in that candy bar and having, you said, two of them, which makes that much of a, a big difference. Um, I think that's another reason why Twix gets ahead of Payday. Um, if Payday were, were to somehow incorporate chocolate, but that, then you lose your identity in the same process. But if they were to somehow use chocolate in there, that that might be a step forward for them to beating Twix. But but doesn't that just make it a Snickers bar? Like I said, you're losing your identity at that point, so. Right, yeah. So, I mean, that yeah, you are you got where you are based off what you are. So, um, I just, again, there's just not enough there for Payday to beat out Twix. All right, so my final, now that we have some difference here, I have number five Snickers against number two Twix. And Jeff, I'm going to give it to my boys on the left side of the column, on the left side of the bracket with number five Snickers. I think they are just the most satisfying candy bar. I think I need more than just one Twix to get over the hump to really satisfy what I need. I get one Snickers bar and I feel refreshed and ready to go and looking to, to kick ass the rest of the day because Snickers satisfies. So, obviously, we're going to disagree because we have a different final. Um, I'm going to go Twix. Um, now, you had them going up against Hershey's. Yeah, it did. It was a one-two battle. And we're going to continue with the no number ones are going to win. Twix is going to win. Again, America's Candy Bar. I cannot staple that enough. And... The fact that they give you two servings 
in one package. Like no other candy bar does that. Oh, may, eh, Kit Kat. I'll, I'll let me pull that back. Kit Kat does that to a degree, which is but, another honorable mention. Right, a, a, another honorable mention. But Twix, ju- I, I just like Twix. They give you a full serving, but times it by two. Um, everything you could ever want in a candy bar: cookie, caramel, chocolate. Um, Twix just takes it. It's the best candy bar in the world. And they were able to make. Uh, they were also able to make variations off it. They had the uh, the peanut butter Twix that ma- that made a run there in the mid two thousands. They did dark chocolate Twix and stuff too. So the fact that they were able to change their game a little bit, I'm I'm gonna go Twix. All right, so I got Snickers flexing their muscles in my championship. You got Twix over there finessing the entire competition, getting through everyone. We're gonna hear from you guys. Um, Starting Tuesday, because I will remember to post it this time on Facebook, you guys get to decide who will advance in the first round. And for the next three days, we're going to see who you'd think is the best candy bar of all time based off our bracket. Jeff, we got we got MVP honors to hand out this week. Do you remember who went first last week? I believe I went first last week, so you're up. Okay, I'm going to give it to Matt Murray on the ice for ending that Boston uh, point streak essentially playing lights out, especially in that last period. I believe he had 39 saves off of 41 shots, and one of those goals was late in the third period with an extra attacker with the empty net for Boston, and Matt Murray was just looking like playoff Matt Murray, which gets me excited for the playoffs. Not bad, not bad. My MVP of the of the week, I don't know if you saw this, it's going to be an organization uh, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks or Anaheim Ducks have had a uh, have had a rough year. They're, they're kind of going through the start of a rebuild, um, and they had a bobblehead knife, Ryan Getzloff. And as we know in this town, when your team is struggling, you're trying to get people in the seats. What gets people in the seats better than a bobblehead? Correct. Right. So they had this bobblehead for Ryan Getzloff. I guess it was supposed to be like the the equivalent of a ten year challenge bobblehead. So it's Ryan Getzloff, and it's cut in half, right? So this thing is split in half of the old Anaheim Mighty Ducks jersey, which is the equivalent of his draft day. It has his little draft day hat in his one hand, um, the, the old uh, Mighty Ducks jersey. And then on the, uh, he has hair. And then on the other side is the current version of Ryan Getzloff. That ha- he's bald. It's the black with like the, uh, the yellow Ducks. Uh, logo um so it's like his transformation throughout his career um one of the most brutal bobbleheads you'll see but but my mvp goes out to the ducks organization just on the creativity of it um it does it's not the best looking bobblehead but um to come up with that idea with like the whole 10-year challenge thing that happened in the uh Early part of this year in January after New Year's, I thought it was a well-played uh, promotion by the Anaheim Ducks. So the Anaheim Ducks are my uh, my MVP of the week. All right, that'll about do it for us. Jeff, you got any last words for, for our listeners? I do not. The only thing I will say, though, is uh, when you do look at the bracketeering, if you have any honorable mentions that we did not put in, please list them. And uh, maybe we'll throw a like your way or something. We'll... We'll reward you with something when uh, if we see one that really stands out. So, yeah, make sure to check out our Facebook page, Icy Takes, I-C-E-Y Takes. We also have our Twitter, at Icy Takes, 
I-C-E-Y Picks as well with the at symbol in front. And also don't forget to follow us at Big underscore Day 52. At Chris underscore 51. And then you can yell at us or praise us or do whatever you want. If you want, leave a rating in the podcast. And then also be sure to um, check us out. If you're listening on Anchor, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all sorts of other different um, uh, platforms out there to listen to us. So uh, until then, we'll be back next week to discuss more baseball and hockey. And, you know, hopefully um, we get front row seats to that A-Rod Canseco match. What do you think, Jeff? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I might promote this thing. All right. Well, well, as we get the promotion together, we'll see if you if you guys would be interested in the fight as well. So until then, stay icy, people. Yep. See you guys.